0: The only way you get 20% off is to go to com slash ETM and enter code ETM at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash ETM. Go to com slash ETM and use code ETM for 20% off. How much money do you make? Do you have credit card debt? What is your credit score? Hey, will you come to my wedding? And oh, by the way, it's probably going to cost about $1,000, but you're okay with that, right? Why can't you afford to go to dinner with us? Ah, uh, those awkward money conversations, aren't they fun? There's so many of them. And in this episode, Aaron Lowry, money expert and author of the new book, Broke Millennial Talks Money, scripts, stories, and advice to navigate awkward financial conversations, walks us through how to handle some of life's stickiest money conversations.
1: You're listening to Millennial Money with award winning money expert and serial entrepreneur, Shauna Come to Game, where we flip the script on the old school approach to everything your parents never taught you about money. Each week, Shauna creates a safe space by talking with special guests from around the world about money wellness, entrepreneurship, traveling like a boss, and what makes millennials tick. Unique stories, trailblazing perspectives, tips, tricks, and everything there is to know about money. Find it all here as you uncover your money story. And unlock the life you want to live. Pretty cool, right? Here's Shauna, money expert, Indiana Hoosier, and Burger Aficionado.
0: I've both had quite a few awkward money conversations, and I've also helped many, 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 many people and couples navigate some really awkward conversations. And honestly, they aren't fun. No matter if I'm having them or you're having them, your palms get sweaty, your heart races. You look for any logical or even half logical reason to just get the heck out of the conversation. If you've ever had a money conversation that is even the least bit awkward, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And as Erin says, we procrastinate things that are going to be awkward and uncomfortable because we don't actually want to do them. But by avoiding these awkward conversations around money, you actually make the situation worse and potentially even more awkward then it actually needs to be. It's like this giant, awkward sandwich that just doesn't taste good. But by the end of this episode, you'll know how to walk through some of the most common awkward money topics with ease and also hopefully understand why these conversations are just so dang awkward to start with. So let's go turn some awkwardness into something a little less awkward with Erin. I figure this is probably the best way to start out if you're willing to play a little bit. Since your new book is all about advice to navigate these awkward money conversations, I got to know, what would you say is probably like your most, your most awkward money conversation that you've ever had?
2: <laughs> oh, man. There have been so many. And I actually dedicated my third book to everyone who's engaged in an awkward money conversation with me. And there's two that come to mind, one that was very low risk for me, but was interesting. And I was actually at a bachelorette party and a woman there made the comment of, I hate rich people. Ooh. And I just went, "Hmm, tell me more. (laughs) and really we went down this huge rabbit hole about like her childhood and her emotional relationship with all of these things and then like smash cut to her now working as a geneticist and like dealing with very wealthy people in some of the most like tense and trying times of their lives and so she's just had like all of this exposure to all of like the negative tropes wow and i think having it as well like this reckoning between growing up in a certain socioeconomic environment and now having quite a bit of wealth herself. And it was just a fascinating conversation, but a bit awkward that I'm like being a bit voyeuristic over here about, oh, why? And like, tell me about your childhood and what makes you feel this way. <laughs> and inevitably like cleared out a room at this bachelorette party because I was so engaged with this woman. <laughs> but the other one that was much more high risk, because it was somebody actually in my life. And I talk a little bit about this in the book, Weddings are the bane of my existence, and been in a lot of them, been invited to many, had one myself. And I really did. I've had a fallout with a friend of mine over a wedding because she got, in my opinion, very irrational about her expectations from bridesmaids. And I was in a place in my life financially where I could not afford what she was asking of us. I also was in other weddings that year, invited to. I can't remember if it was five or six other ones that year, none of which were in my hometown of New York City. So I was having to travel for absolutely everything. I was like 26. I wasn't making great money at that time either. And part of it was me learning that what I did was not healthily communicating and setting boundaries and more like judgy and condescending about value sets. (laughs) Of you know, I don't really value this three hundred dollar dress you want me to buy type (laughs) of things. Going to wear once, (laughs) right? So it was a lot of learning by putting my own foot in my mouth, making mistakes, having a relationship strained as a consequence. That also helped me learn how to fix that and not do that again, and have set better, healthy boundaries early on. And be able to navigate those conversations in a better way. So this book does not come from a place of, I have just flawlessly come through life having these chats. It's like, no, I have screwed up plenty of times. Here's what I did wrong. And here's what other smart people say to do right when you're having these chats.
0: I think that's such uh, I, I you telling that story about weddings just has like flashback moments for me of those years when there were just so many weddings. It felt like every time I opened the mail or my email, it was like another wedding invite, and um you know then it comes with the gift and all you know you can go down the rabbit hole. I had a couple friends uh last year who were saying you know what, oddly, one of the best things about the pandemic is, I don't have to spend a ton of money on people's weddings, which sounds, of course, like not a very nice thing to say, except they were just very thankful that their budgets had a little bit of time to recover. But those are extremely awkward moments, particularly if you're in the wedding party and really good friends with the person. It's like how do I How do I even begin to have this conversation? Because everyone's at a different income level. I'm not
2: being facetious when I say I bought a car because I wasn't going to other people's weddings this year. <laughs> really not. My husband and I joke that our car, and it's a used car, but that our car was our other people's weddings and international travel funds for 2020. Just that. I like car. it yeah yeah so- I have spent over 20 grand going to other people's weddings. I did the math <gasps> while writing the book.
0: Oh my gosh yeah. that
2: is it's not that is incredible. yeah, but it's not that hard to do. Like that's the thing that's crazy no. is if people think about it and actually go back and do the very painful math, even if you're invited to three or four a year, especially if you're also invited to bachelorette parties and bridal showers and you know engagement parties, even if you only go to two of those, the wedding and one other pre-event and you're having to travel each time, it's really easy for a single wedding to cost at minimum a grand. Not even, buying, not even being in it, not even buying like dress and shoes, but you're talking possibly two sure. trips, food and everything when you're actually there, lodging, gift, all of that. Super easy for a wedding to cost a grand. And I always get like, well, I'm not that popular. All right, I have 30 plus first cousins, so that's part of the problem. <laughs> and the other issue is you partner up, right? So it's not just my friends. It's also my husband's friends. And then now we're, you know, double amounts of weddings. And yes, I felt that way about 2020, but they roll over to 2021. We already have seven. So we'll see what happens. (laughs) I don't (laughs) want to complain about weddings all the time. They can be a lot of fun. (laughs) And I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad that is currently going through the wedding process. But please be sensitive to your friends' budget, restrictions and also not even just budget restrictions but value sets. Like, do think about that. You know, I, for one, when I got married, I paid for my bridesmaids' dresses because I had a certain style that I wanted to go for and I wasn't going to make them pay for that. Now if you say like, hey, a knee-length black cocktail dress and they get to pick what they want, then fine, sure, they can pay for it. But if you're decreeing something, you pay for it.
0: Yeah, I like that. I like that advice a lot. And I think thinking a little bit, like, I guess fundamentally about the book and about these awkward conversations, like, what do you think at the core makes money so awkward to talk about it? Is it because we have all of these strong emotions around money that are kind of maybe buried and hidden from most of us? Or does it just feel like one of those taboo topics that we can't dare go into these conversations about?
2: It's all of the above. And to me, I feel a huge part of it is that fear of judgment and potential shame that you might get. Because if you think about the people that you're comfortable talking money with, I bet a stranger is right at the top of that list. Like if you're sitting on an airplane, RIP travel, but if you're sitting on an airplane and just get into a chat with somebody I am almost willing to bet you are more likely to disclose credit card debt to that person in the context of your conversation than to your best friend. Because who cares about your seatmate on the airplane? You'll probably never see that person again. So you don't really care about potential judgment from them. But your best friend or your parents or your partner, you don't want to feel judged by them. And there's some level of you that feels shame around whatever that money confession would be. And when we have moments of feeling anxiety and stress, it's either because we know we're gonna make the person upset. So no, I'm not spending $300 on that bridesmaid stress, or we're afraid we're gonna get judged. I would love to be able to come to your birthday dinner, but I have five grand of credit card debt as a result of losing my job during the pandemic. And I just can't afford to go to the restaurant that you picked. Now you don't have to provide that level of information to them but providing context can be a really powerful tool when we're having these chats. And I feel like it's like if you allow yourself
0: to speak with that level of of honesty and just realism, I would have to imagine that it's also very freeing for you, even though it is scary to talk about those things. But there has to be an element of, of freedom to be able to just say, look, here's where I'm at and here's what I can do and here's what I can't do.
2: Well, and it helps preserve important relationships in your life as well because if you just keep saying no that gets really frustrating for people and eventually they'll they'll just stop asking you to do things because no one likes to be rejected even in platonic relationships we don't like rejection so if you're the friend that's either seemingly flaky or always saying no and i have been that person then people just stop asking And I was that person because I was ruthlessly prioritizing my finances over absolutely everything else in my life and not considering the fact that investing into relationships is part of what it means to live a wealthy life. And I was young and still learning a lot. And if the opportunity to earn money came up, that is what I went for. That is what I focused on. And I didn't explain myself, though, either. It wasn't, hey, I have this huge anxiety about amassing a certain amount of money and I'm trying to build my emergency savings fund because I'm earning 23 grand living in New York City. So, no, I can't afford to come to happy hour. And did I need to like word vomit to that level? No. But instead of just saying no, I could have said I appreciate the offer. But I have an opportunity to pick up an extra shift at the coffee house, and I'm really trying to hit a savings goal by the end of the month. So could we? And then I could have offered an alternative. That counter-offer strategy is really great when it comes to these conversations.
0: I like that idea of of a counter-offer. It the I think the conversations, the awkward conversations about friends is like one of those areas, or with friends, I should say, one of those areas that we tend to not think about a lot. Like we think about okay, the awkward conversations with maybe our parents or our, our partner but there is a lot of um a lot of strong feelings around talking to friends about money i know it's definitely one of the chapters you devote a lot to and it makes me think about if there's anybody out there that that watches friends the episode where yep. you know some of them can afford and then the other three couldn't and you know this whole like how does this how do those awkward conversations happen? You know, who's missing out? Who gets to join in? And the others want to pay, but the others... I mean, it just turns into like this whole, you know, snowball. And I know I've had a lot of questions on the podcast, particularly last year, about how do I share with uh, someone who maybe doesn't make as much money as as I do, but I like I want them to join in on something that I'm doing but they don't make as much and I don't want them to feel bad. How do you even, I mean, you've sort of talked about it a little bit, but like, how do you begin to have those conversations and, and try to take everyone's feelings into, into account? Okay, friend, I want to know what are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding? I think that's really important. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And now, listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com/etm. That's M O N A R C H M O N E Y.com/etm for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot slash ETM to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash ETM.
3: We've all spent more time with family lately. It can feel like old times, but your mind is on the future, too, and what you can do to shape it. At Sandy Spring Bank, we work with clients to help them grow and protect their money with wealth management, trust services and insurance so they can enjoy today and ultimately pass along their wealth. We believe real banking is a conversation. Let's talk about your dreams. Visit com slash wealth. Wealth and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not guaranteed, and may lose value.
0: We have an Ask Shauna, and this one comes from Joshua. Joshua says, Hi, Shauna. First of all, thank you for everything you do. I started listening to your podcast at the beginning of COVID last year, and it's helped me so much. Over the past 12 months, I've completely paid off my credit card debt. Wow. <laughs> Joshua, that's pretty awesome. Joshua says, I now have a little over 4 k left in student loan debt to pay off, and I'm in a position where I could do that relatively soon, but it sounds like our new president may pass legislation that would forgive student loan debt. My question is, should I only make small payments for now and wait to see if any student loans are forgiven, or should I just bite the bullet and pay them off? Any advice is greatly appreciated. Thank you so much again. Joshua, thank you so much. I'm so happy to have been with you during 2020 and COVID. I feel like all of us are bonded even more because of it, right? We were all sort of experiencing the same things along the journey. And I mean, high five for paying off credit card debt during a really rocky year. That is seriously amazing. You should be so proud of yourself. And I just want to say an asterisk for anybody listening who is not in Joshua's position, who 2020 was not a kind year for them, and maybe you actually went into debt. I just want to say that it's okay. I just want to give you permission to be wherever you're at. If you're in credit card debt, if you're in student loan debt, if you're struggling to pay the bills, if you're paying the bills okay, but somehow there's just not always enough money left over, whatever situation you're in, I just want you to know that it's okay. Wherever you're at right now, it doesn't mean we don't take action moving forward, doesn't mean that we don't try to make little changes every single day, but it's okay. So it's okay to just sit in where you're at, even if it sucks and it's bad. But it's also okay to sit in, I did really good, like Joshua, like wow, I'm really freaking proud of myself. It's okay to sit in that as well. So I just want to give you this permission slip to just be wherever you're at today without feeling the need like you have to change it suddenly or feeling like you're lesser than. I never want to share these stories of people who've done things like Joshua to make you feel like like you're you're not doing okay. So I hope that really makes sense and hopefully hopefully registers with you. So Joshua this is a good and potentially a little bit tricky topic. My, my two cents are that if you could pay off your student loans, do so. If you could pay those off with ease and you're just going to wipe those out and that's going to make you feel really good, then do it. Because who knows what will and won't happen in the future. But that doesn't also mean that you couldn't just right now pay the minimum payment for, say, six months or so. And do something like put the extra cash in high yield savings, even though I know you're not going to earn that much, but you are going to earn more than it just sitting in your checking account. Or maybe you want to invest it smartly, hope to get a little bit of a return, make a little money on your money. But knowing that if you needed to, you could pull that money out and pay off those student loans at any time. There's nothing wrong with that either. So both approaches are equally positive, right? They both yield the same end result but i mean i am in favor of student loan debt being wiped away by legislation i'm i'm really in favor of that but i'm also realistic that a lot has to happen in order for that to take place like a, a lot has to happen and so i don't want you to get get sucked into a headline and an attention grabbing headline and even if that is in the legislation and it's being proposed in the legislation there's still a lot of bickering back and forth before we would actually end up at something. Will it only be on certain types of loans? How retroactive will it be? How much will it really be? These are big, big questions. So I want to detach you from whatever is in the news cycle about it, and I want to attach you a little bit to just the reality of it, because there's so many questions now and not enough answers. It would be fantastic if that happens. And If it does happen and you have paid off your student loans, I don't want you to have that moment of like, well, crap, why did I pay those off when the government could have just paid that for me? I don't want you to have that. I just want you to sit in the pride of those loans are paid off regardless of how that happens. So I hope you kind of understand where I'm coming at. But either approach is not a bad approach. If you want to sit and wait a little bit, pay the minimums, see what happens. Cool. Great. Go ahead and do that. If it's going to make you feel better at night when you go to sleep, put your little head on the pillow that, hey, I paid off those student loans, then I say go for that as well. All right. So I hope this helps. I know it's a little gray area here. I I haven't given you one specific direction, but I just want you to really think about at the end of the day, again, when you go to sleep, put your little head on the pillow, what's going to make you feel better? And that is probably the best choice for you to take.
2: One, initiating the conversation is the first step. But if you're the person who earns more, there's a few key things to consider. One, the natural psychology of envy that's probably going to happen with your friend who doesn't earn as much. Like there's probably going to be a natural jealousy even though they don't want to feel that way. It's just kind of human nature, unfortunately. But the other thing to consider is one, do not always pick up the tab. And I say that because... If you want to do something really specific, you just got a promotion, you wanna celebrate, you wanna go to the restaurant that you wanna go to, you don't wanna compromise on this, that's a great time to offer to pay because you can give a really good reason. Hey, I just got that promotion I've been working so hard for, I wanna celebrate, I wanna go to my favorite restaurant. And I know this kind of food isn't really your thing, so I'm just going to pick up the tab. I don't want you to stress about it. It's just because I don't want to compromise on where I'm going because I want to celebrate this win this way. Something like that, so that you are inviting them, you're not financially making it their problem, and you don't have to compromise with them on where you want to go. But if it's always a man, every time we go out, I just feel like they always look to me to pick up the bill and it's starting to make me feel like they're just using me to have me pay for everything. Even if that's not the intention, even if it's just, you've kind of established a script in your relationship early on and both parties are just kind of adhering to it. At some point, it is likely that you will feel resentful of them for doing it. And they will probably feel resentful of you because at some point they're probably going to feel like, they don't think I can afford to pay for a freaking they are picking up everything all the time. And it just makes me feel really crappy about myself.
0: Yeah, right. I mean, and in, in so many things left unsaid for sure. And I would just flashing back to thinking about, I think we've all been in this situation where we go to go out to eat with friends when we could do that. And inevitably, there's a person who underpays. And there's that moment of okay, do I make a big deal about this? Do I just put in enough money to cover whoever I know (laughs) didn't pay their share? I mean, it just feels like there's always these these awkward moments, and I think that's such great advice about being able, like, not being afraid to to speak up and say, "All right, okay, let's let's break this down and let's figure this out, and
2: and um, you know, let's have these conversations." And you also have to recognize both parties. One, if you're the higher earner, you have to recognize, and pardon me for using this term, but the lower earner is your anger. So where they can afford to do things is where you need to focus. Because otherwise, it's really not fair to be trying to push them up into your category because financially that could be burdensome to them. But on the flip side, if you don't earn as much, And a few of your other friends earn a little more or maybe just funnel their money in that direction. Or maybe you guys are in the same amount, but you got married, bought a house and had a kid and they're all child free and renting different pressures on financial households. Whatever the reason, if you're the one who doesn't have the same level of discretionary spending money, you also have to be careful not to be resentful if they choose to partake in the originally proposed plan. Just because you can't go doesn't mean they have to sacrifice getting to do the thing that they want to do. I recommend you don't check their Instagrams that night. (laughs) Probably not a good idea, right? (laughs) But there does have to be this level of understanding as well that like, just because you can't afford to always do it, or maybe you just don't value it, they don't have to change their plans.
0: Yeah, very true. I mean, it's, it can be just, just that simple.
3: Hey. Tune into the Daily Book Club Discord and discuss the readings with other book club listeners. However you want to listen, it's your choice. Subscribe to the Daily Book Club on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else. New episodes every single day. So sit back, relax, and get lost in the Daily Book Club.
4: Imagine unlocking a version of yourself that's unstoppable, where mental barriers no longer hold you back. Subscribe to Mentally Stronger with therapist Amy Morin, available wherever you love to listen to podcasts.
0: Want to know the number one money question I'm asked? It's how to get started investing without being overwhelmed. So if you're asking yourself the same question, then you have to check out the Investing for Beginners podcast. The hosts, Dave and Andrew, they break down investment terms and strategies in a way you can finally understand. I love that they're making investing accessible and they have an entire podcast dedicated to helping you invest better. Even if you're not ready to start investing, they explain the stock market and financial updates so you can really understand what is being said on the news. If you're ready to learn more about investing, I'd recommend you start with two of my favorite episodes. Listener Q&A, how do you start investing with a thousand bucks, where they explain how you get started right away, and back to basics of building your portfolio, where they explain how to build a portfolio from scratch. The Investing for Beginners podcast is a great way to start expanding your relationship with money. Find Investing for Beginners podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, and then also talking about uh, with friends, I know you talk about this a lot in the book, but like, what are some general guidelines or rules about sharing how much you make or even how much you spend? Like, I see a lot of people particularly on social media, share in, in pretty, um, pretty plain detail what they make. And, you know, I never, I mean, I always think about like, how does that make other people feel? Do they feel like, oh, how do I rise up to that level? Or, oh man, suddenly I feel lesser than, or, you know, h- how do you have these conversations? Because I think a lot of people now are open to sharing what they make or what they spend, but is there a quote unquote right way to do this? The question is, why?
2: and I, <laughs> Thank you. Yes. I just mean that in the sense of if we're talking negotiating at work, talking to your coworkers about salary, yes, I am here for that. It is important to understand what the market bears, make sure that you're not, you know, victim of a, a wage gap, having those conversations. That's kind of a whole auxiliary chapter of broke millennial talks money, but also of this conversation. Like that's sort of its own entity. But if we're just talking friendships, why is it helpful information for you to know how much your friend makes? Unless you do the same kind of job and you're going in for a negotiation and you're trying to get, you know, crowdsourcing information about asking for a raise In that isolated case. Sure. But okay. Let's take me for example. One of my best friends works in tech. Her salary has zero bearing on what I earn. Now I have friends who do what I do and are self-employed. And I do bluntly ask them how much they earn on certain projects, certain campaigns, certain partnerships, because that's helpful information for me to know. Now I don't overall ask like, how much did you gross last year? But I will ask like, hey, for that partnership, I'm negotiating for something similar. How much did you charge? But my friend that works in tech, it's not that business. Now, if she wants to have a conversation with me about it, I'm fine because this is like literally whatever I get joy from is talking about <laughs> money. And it's not going to make me mad. I'm going to be like, yeah, go you. You've worked so hard for that. But if that is not going to be your response, and be honest with yourself, you know if that's going to be your response or not. You don't need to know. And also, it's not your business how other people spend their money. And I think sometimes we want to know because we want to be trying to justify like, well, they probably can't afford the lifestyle that they're living and it's probably being financed either Mm -hmm. by mom and dad or, you know, a trust fund or credit cards or what have you. But even if it is fundamentally, that really is none of your business unless it's directly impacting you because they're asking you to spend in a certain type of way. Then yes, please set those boundaries. But it still doesn't require you to ask how much they make.
0: I like that. And it's such an important point about boundaries. And A, it's okay to have boundaries around things like this. <laughs> and uh, B, it's it's healthy, I think, to establish uh, boundaries, especially if someone's being overtly noise, nosy and, and, and the, that's not uh, what you want them to do. So I, hearing about some of your awkward conversations how did you come up with the idea for, for this book? W- was there something sort of brewing with you within you that you thought, okay, this, this is actually a conversation topic we actually need to converse about?
2: Yeah, I was getting a ton of questions about it. You know, a combination of both media requests and then I do an Ask Me Anything on Instagram every Wednesday. And I started noticing this trend of people asking questions where the underlying thing was really an awkward money conversation. So whether it was, I can't keep up with my friend's lifestyle, how do I tell my friend no? How do I communicate with my husband about how I want to handle money in our marriage? How do I ask my parents if they have enough money? Like, There's just so many ways that talking about money impacts our life. And if you look at Broke Millennial as a series, the first book is, you know, you get it together. Next book is you learn how to invest. And then this one to me is like, all right, you got your own financial house in order but it is going to come crumbling down if you cannot learn how to communicate and set healthy. And I like this term, I heard it the other day, compassionate boundaries.
0: Oh, I like that too. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's a great term because oftentimes we think about boundary setting as like, you know, I'm looking out for me, I'm doing this, this is in the best interest of my financial life or my mental health. And yes, all valid and true. But also sometimes it's about being compassionate to with another person in your life, but that setting a boundary is what is compassionate for the both of you. And if we can't learn how to effectively talk about money, it will continue to be a pain point in our lives. And it's an evolving process. I am not flawless with talking about money. There are still (laughs) moments that there is a pain point, but getting the tools and learning how to navigate those conversations is really critical. And one of the next steps towards continuing to build a strong financial future for yourself.
0: I like that word compassion because I feel like that's what needs to happen a lot when you're with a partner or you're married or you're just dating someone, whatever it might be, is to have those moments of non-judgment but come from a place of just trying to understand the other person, why the other person does or doesn't do certain things around money rather than just I think it's really easy to just want to point a finger and say, you're doing this wrong, or I wouldn't do it this way. And rather than having some of these conversations from a real open perspective, I know one of the things you talk about in the book, which again, I get a lot of questions about is how do I talk about things like prenup if I'm terrified (laughs) what the other person is going to say? Are there Certain specifics that you you do or don't do when you're trying to have awkward conversations like that with a potential spouse partner.
2: Yeah, try not to hit their triggers. And I don't say that flippantly. <laughs> I really mean we all have knee-jerk reactions to certain things when it comes to money and with like everything else, but definitely when it comes to money. And for a lot of us, that is very much rooted in our childhood. It has to do a lot with how we were socialized around money, what we were told about money, what we saw play out with our parents or whoever raised us when it comes to money. And even if you feel like you've really gotten it together financially, there will be moments where that button somehow gets pushed and you mentioned having you know these chats and understanding how your partner operates and to me that's one of the first key things when you are coupling up with somebody is understanding their own emotional relationship with money you need to figure out your own but you also should learn what theirs is you should learn about what their childhood was like especially financially it might not be something they want to get into too much but even just getting a little bit of context can be very helpful for you because it can help start to explain if a fight occurs where you're just like, I don't understand why you're having this reaction. <laughs> and that happens. I mean, all sorts of different fights that break out in relationships. It's like, this did not seem like it needed to go to a 10. And all of a sudden you just took it to a 10. What? And often that indicates like, probably not so much about you, but whatever button you just hit is a really sensitive topic for that person. So having that first, understanding what your partner's triggers are. Before you start the heavier, hey, baby, I want a prenup type conversations, Prenup specifically, one of my favorite topics, Uh, you don't have to drop the P word right at first. You can ask a question that's very open ended, like, hey, when we get married, what do you think is a fair way for us to handle the money and the debt that we're bringing into the marriage? You don't have to say the D word either. It doesn't have to be like, if things were to go sideways and we got divorced, what do you think is fair? Like first, just like in the context of our marriage, what feels fair? Then, and if something were to ever happen, what would feel like a fair way to split that up? Mm, I like that. That being the precursor to, okay, did you know that our state's law says, because as my attorney said to me, everybody has a prenup. It's the default laws of your state. And I love that reframe. And that's a a solid one to use when you're having this conversation with your partner. Hey, we live in the state of, you know, you live in California. California is a community property state. What does that mean for us? If we were to get divorced, do we think that's fair? And if we don't think that's fair, let's have a document that dictates to us what feels fair within reason because it still has to hold up in court. (laughs) Right. I like that. Just take
0: the D word and the P word off the table while you're having conversations. And I think that's an important point to make that we don't have to necessarily always use these really charged words at first in conversations that we can come at it maybe a little bit different way. And maybe we end up at the place we wanted to end up with or the place that seems fair, but rather than just coming in completely charged in a conversation and not knowing how that other person's going to take that information, I think, that's a really great way to approach almost any awkward conversation about money. At least I can think about. Um, so, I, I to, to kind of wrap up. I, you know, we've all just been through a crazy year. We don't know necessarily what this year is going to look like. Probably going to be a little bit of a mixed bag. And as we start to, you know, peek our heads out and really emerge back into into the world. What sort of uh, takeaways or, or steps or gems can you leave us with about how we can maybe gracefully walk into some of these awkward conversations, maybe a little bit better way than we've we've done in our past?
2: I'm just expecting like all hedonism to break loose here as people are allowed to do things <laughs> again and. Man, there's going to be so many demands on your money because everybody's going to want to be taking trips and going to see each other and going out to eat and like just getting to do all of the things that we were deprived of for so long. So, big first step is remember what do I value? And maybe those values shifted during the pandemic. So, like currently, what do I value? Where do I want to spend my money? Trying to prioritize those, but also if you're communicating that, don't have it be like, well, I don't value that. Like that is not the way to engage in that conversation. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But providing your why when you're having these conversations, as opposed to I don't value going there. It's I'm trying to, we're trying to buy a house and save up. We're planning to have a baby. We're you know going to go take this month long trip because we miss international travel so much. Therefore, that's not really in my budget right now. Instead, could we using all those same tools? The other thing that I really want people to remember to do, no matter what the awkward conversation is, try to have it early. A lot of what happens too, is this stress Mm -hmm. of we procrastinate things that are going to be awkward and uncomfortable because we don't actually want to do it. And so then it takes you up against a deadline and you're having to set a boundary or make a big ask when it actually now could be a financial problem for someone else. And if you're going to, for instance, your best friend's from college, you're meeting up for a reunion because you didn't get to see each other last year. But hey, in that time span, you had a kid. And now you financially can't afford the same things that you used to do. But they all have their hearts set on going to this one destination. And for you, that's going to be an $800 expense. And instead of early setting the boundary of, hey guys, things have kind of shifted over here because of the baby, so I can't afford to take that particular trip anymore, would you be open to and providing a different alternative? If you wait till a month before, that's not really fair to everybody else. If you have this conversation months and months and months in advance, then maybe a compromise can be reached or maybe they still get to go do the fun thing and you FaceTime in one evening and have a nice chat.
0: Oh, and the one about the friend who never pays enough towards the bill it always gets me. You know, there's always that one person. And do you say something? Do you not say something? It's such a dilemma. And honestly, I hate awkward. I really hate awkward anything. So these conversations are just never easy for me. But I think Aaron really shared some seriously solid tips to talk about this stuff without having all the heart palpitations. And I'm really going to try and infuse some of her tips into any future awkward conversations around money because I know they're going to come up. It's just inevitable, right? So if you're looking to connect with Erin and grab a copy of her new book, Broke Millennial Talks Money, here's how you can do that.
2: Well, you can find me on Instagram at Broke Millennial Blog, on Twitter at Broke Millennial. The website is brokemillennial.com. All of the books are available wherever books are sold, but I do have a plug of please support your local bookstore. Broke Millennial Talks, Money, Script Stories, and Advice to Navigate Awkward Conversations is the most recent. And also, if you do not have it in your budget right now to buy any of these books, please check your local library.
1: Hey, you. Yes, you. Before you go,